There's a scene uh, in the movie Sing 2. I don't know if you've ever seen it. If you haven't, it's, in, it's on Netflix. There's a scene, though, in this movie that had far more emotional impact than I was expecting when I first watched it. Frankly, I wasn't expecting a lot of emotional impact from a movie about cartoon animals singing. <laughs> and yet, there was, there was, there was, there was a scene here that was, that was like that. One of the main characters in the movie is, is the lion, and he's played by Bono, the, the singer from U2. And you see in the scene, he's, he's standing on, on the set in the final performance of the show in the midst of a cave. He's supposed to come out and play his favorite song, a song that he hasn't played in 10 or 15 years because he's been so worn down by the struggles of his life and by the grief of, of losing his wife that he can't bring himself to play the notes. He's paralyzed, staying there in the cave. Everybody's waiting because of his fear. But what's beautiful about this scene is, is that he's not alone in the cave. He has a, a loyal friend who encourages him, one who goes out before him and begins to sing the song so that he could join in. And it's in that moment that, that everything changes for him. And you begin to hear him play. And you begin to then see him walk out of the cave onto the stage and to sing the song. See, at the end of chapter one in the book of Ruth, we see Naomi. She's been struggling, struggling with what the old hymn writer William Cooper called the frowning providence of God, feeling bitterness and emptiness because of all that the Lord has led her through. And yet, as we see in Ruth chapter two, we're gonna hear the music begin to play because of the faithfulness of our God to Ruth and to Naomi through Boaz. We're gonna see his, his overwhelming, glorious generosity to them and, and also to us. So let's pray this morning as as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for gathering us together today, Lord. Thank you for, for helping us, Lord, to, to, to be able to see in this text, Lord, your glory and splendor, your kindness and your generosity. Father, I pray that you would, um, you would help us to trust you in the things that you say about yourself. Father, if, if, if there's some that have come in here like Naomi from chapter one, Father, I pray that they would cast their eyes to you, that they would see that faith in you is not a fool's errand, but Lord, in you we have everything we need. Lord, you are good and righteous and true. Lord, if we uh, feel like we're uh, just doing great today, Father, I pray that we would continually give praise and glory to you, our faithful and gracious provider and that we would seek to honor you with all that we have, including our very lives. So Lord, lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles open, we're going to begin in Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. 
So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen to me, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. There's a lot here in this text that is just rich and, and beautiful as we begin to unpack it. And as we begin looking at our text this morning, there's one bit of context from the Old Testament law that I think is helpful for us to understand as we see the scene playing out in Ruth chapter 2. And it's this. In the Old Testament, we see that God has built a beautiful provision for the poor into his law. We see this in Deuteronomy 24 verse 19, where God is telling them when they go to reap. He says, when you reap your harvest in your field, 
and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. We also see in Leviticus 19 where he says, when you're harvesting the field, don't go all the way to the edges. Leave some for those that are poor and need to gather food for the day. And so in both ways, he's, he's describing his heart toward uh, the poor and the needy. The harvesters are to leave some behind so they have food and they're taken care of. These laws show an example to the Israelites of what loving your neighbor as yourself actually looks like. It puts flesh on the idea there. And we see that God's heart is that we should be generous as he is generous to the widow, to the fatherless, and the foreigner, of which Ruth was actually all three. Remember, she had lost her husband. and She had to leave her father and mother to cling to Naomi, and she's a foreigner in a foreign land. She is as vulnerable and as needy as they come. And yet Ruth shows great faith because she believes that God will provide for her as he says in the law. She believes that this is true. And so as the passage opens today, we're introduced in verse one to a man who's gonna change everything for Ruth and Naomi. And his name's Boaz. And the two things that we learn right off the, the, the bat from uh, verse one is that he is a close relative of Naomi's husband. He was related to Elimelech. And we see that he's a worthy man. This word can be translated different ways, meaning wealthy, having strong character, being well-respected by others. And for, for Boaz, it's, it's actually all of those. He checks off all of those boxes. And so here, Ruth is, is trusting that God will provide. She's trusting that there are still faithful Israelites in the time of the judges. So she sets out to glean in the fields. And the text is funny the way it says it in verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. You remember from the book of Esther, it just so happened that she comes into Boaz's field. And if there's one thing that we notice and learn from studying Esther is to spot God's sovereignty, his subtle sovereignty in action. And here we see God directing Ruth, though she doesn't know it yet, directly to Boaz's field, the place where she is going to receive abundant generosity from her Redeemer. And so this is where she goes. And so this morning, as we study our text, uh, we're gonna see that our main idea is a, is a simple one, but it's very profound as we think about it today. Our Redeemer is abundantly generous. We're gonna hear that over and over. He's abundantly generous. And because he is abundantly generous, we're gonna see the kind of flow of the text this way. Because he's generous, we receive kindness and care. We reap where we did not sow, and we rejoice with hope for all that he has done because our God is so overflowingly gracious and, and specifically here generous. We will receive kindness and care. We reap where we didn't sow and we rejoice with hope for all that he's done. So, so let's see the first part where we, where we see that we receive kindness and care as Boaz is showing kindness and care to Ruth. So as Boaz enters the field, Ruth's been diligently working all morning. We see that from the text. She's been working except for one short break. You know, I, I'm wondering what, what is Ruth thinking about as she's out in the field? And verse 10, I think, gives us a hint as to what she was thinking. The reality is she thinks that no one's going to think much about her. She's poor and a foreigner. 
Instead, I think that she thinks that she's going to go unnoticed, just kind of on the, on the side, on the peripheral. Or maybe she's actually hoping that she's going to go unnoticed because of the danger that she could face by, by going out and gleaning in the fields. We, we see in verse 9 and verse 22 that it was dangerous potentially to go out into the fields. It could be assaulted, abused. So maybe she was hoping to be unnoticed. But what we see here as she's standing in the field is she is not unnoticed. She's not unnoticed by Boaz and she's not unnoticed by God. He is the one who has directed her to this place. He is the one that's led Boaz here at this moment so that he would see her and be able to to help her and care for her. You know, brothers and sisters, although you may not see God's hand moving at times, you can trust that he is moving for your good. This is one of the things that we see directly from Ruth too. Notice in this scene, Ruth has no idea what's about to happen. She doesn't know who Boaz is. She doesn't know the the end of the chapter. She's simply trusting the Lord as as he sends her here. But God is working in a a tremendous way to show her his abundant generosity. But it's also possible that God is working in your life now in a way that you just don't see. And you may not see it for a long time, but he is working. Will you trust him though you do not see it currently? I think this is an application that we see from Ruth in this text. And so Boaz asks the question, whose young woman is this? Notice he doesn't say who is this, but he says whose. Meaning what family does she belong to? Or to put it another way, which man helps take care of her? Like who's her husband or, or who's her father? Does she have family that's helping to take care of her because he knows her plight. She must be poor because she's in the field gleaning. That's the reason she would be out there. And so he's, 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 he's asking a question really of care for her. It's not a statement of romantic interest. Instead, he's, he's wanting to know where she come from. She must be poor. And so when, she's, when he's told the identity of Ruth, how she came to the field and asked if she could glean here, this is a woman he actually finds out he's, he's heard about. Like he's, he's been told the stories of, of what Ruth has done for Naomi. He's just never seen her before. He didn't know, he didn't have a face to go with the name and now he does. Now he, he puts it together. And it tells us that, that as Boaz learns of Ruth's identity, he goes up and he speaks to her. And I wonder what she was thinking in the field then. Oh no, like the, the master of the field's coming up to talk to me. Is he going to ask me to leave because I'm from, Bo, from Moab? Is he going to tell me that I can't continue to gather, that I've gotten too much? Like, what is he going to say? But this is what we hear in verses 8 through 12. Boaz says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answers her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. 
the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Just think about that. How? Imagine how these words would have felt to Ruth as she hears them. All of those fears allayed as she sees the abundant generosity of this Redeemer. Ian Duguid says these may have been the first kind words that she had heard from someone since she left Moab. More than that, they were a blessing that sought God's favor upon her as if she was a member of the covenant community. See, Boaz isn't seeing her as an outsider. He's recognizing all that she sacrificed to be with her mother-in-law. And so he offers a blessing to her, both for her protection and he asked that the Lord would pay her back for her kindness to Naomi. But Boaz, he doesn't just send her off with a prayer. He actually shows her kindness after kindness. And then she probably thinks there can't be any more kindness. He shows more kindness and more all the same. And the first way that he shows her kindness is he says, he says, stay in my field. Stay here in this field. Don't go anywhere else to find food. You're going to find what you need right here. This is an invitation to, to find life and provision in the, in the presence of the Redeemer. You know, if you think about the situation, it would be absolutely absurd hearing all that happens to Ruth. That after this day, on the next day, she's like, you know, you know what? I'm not going to go back to Boaz's field tomorrow. I'm going to go try another field. I'm going to go see, see what happened next. one. no. That would, be, that would be crazy for her to do that because she has experienced and seen the kindness and the, and the overflowing generosity of, of Boaz here. And so he says, stay in my field. Stay here. You know, as I think about our own lives, I imagine that none of us intend to turn from God, to turn from his kind provision when we taste and see that he is good. And yet, Sometimes we do that. We leave the field of his good provision. We leave the, the place that he has, he has given us uh, you know, access and, and life, and we instead try to look outside of that. Why, why would we do that? You know, unforeseen sorrow and tragedy can have the effect of, of dulling our memory of God's faithfulness or goodness, and it can cause us to doubt him. And, and I think lots of people get shipwrecked here, sorrow and tragedy, and, and they can't get past it. In places of, of deep pain or, or when our plans crumble, we can turn to, to blaming God and doubting his goodness to us, doubting that he would desire to do good to us. See, Boaz tells Ruth to keep her eyes on the field, to keep her eyes here because this is a place of, 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 of abundance, of, of life, of joy. Like he is providing it for her. He wants her to see it before her eyes so that she continues to remember what he is giving to her. The encouragement is to keep looking so that you would continually see his goodness because what our eyes are fixed on a lot of times shows what we care about. You know, keeping our eyes fixed on the things that, that, that God has for us as we see him encouraging her to do that, it's really important in our marriages too. Not looking outside of that to another who could satisfy you, but, but thanking God for the good gift of the spouse that he has given to you. 
to, to, to commit to love and pursue that one that the Lord has to have eyes for them. You know, this is an implication, but there's lots of them where we would see the good provision that God has and we would trust him. But the reality is, is as we walk more closely with our Redeemer, the more we do that, the more we trust him. And know his faithfulness to us as we do that. We, we see it time and time again. The less we're going to want to go outside of his field as we do that. It's our love of the Redeemer and our experience of his goodness that protects us from the enticement of our sin and from the lies of the enemy. And so God is telling us that his blessing is found within the boundaries that he sets for us. And so in, in Boaz's generosity, he says, stay here. You can continually come and find food and life here. But he doesn't just say that. He says, stay close to my young women. Stay here because you're going to be safe from harm from outside or even from my men within because I've commanded them not to touch you. And so as Ruth goes out in the fields, she knows that she has a place to come that is, that is safe because it is in the presence of that Redeemer. This is, you know, when Ruth is going out to the fields, it was her risking her life regularly to show a covenant commitment to Naomi. Like it was risky for her to go out and do this. And so Boaz is saying, I'll protect you here. Come. And so you see kindness and you see care on display because the Redeemer is extremely generous. And so how does Ruth respond when she hears these things? When she lays down on her face, she falls on her face amazed at Boaz's generosity and kindness. And she asks the question that I think a lot of us would ask if we're shown tremendous kindness. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Why would you, why would you notice me? Here she says a foreigner, but, but we would say, why, God, would you notice me? Verse 10 is the heart of every believer toward God. Why would you care about me? Why would you accept me? Remember, again, she doesn't know Boaz. She doesn't know who he is, but he knows her, and God knows her. As, as Ruth is sitting here, what keeps coming back to mind for her, I think, is her Moabness. Like you see it over and over in the text. It reminds us over and over that she's from Moab. She's a foreigner. She keeps thinking about this. Like, I'm from another land. Even when she's introduced to people, they're like, oh, yeah, aren't you the one from Moab? She's like, yeah, I'm from Moab, right? Like over and over. She knows where she comes from. She's constantly reminded of this. She may even feel like her background disqualifies her from anything but the scraps of God's people. And so she says, why would you notice me? It really is a good question. She may be consumed here with her old identity, but you know what? That's not what Boaz sees. Boaz instead tells Ruth that, that what he sees is all that she's done for Naomi. All of it's been made known to him. How she's forsaken her old way of life, how she's left her family and her old gods and instead has been committed to Naomi and, to, and to, to Naomi's God. And she's committed in love to sought refuge under the Lord's strong and loving wings. The Lord hasn't rejected her. He's not kept her at a distance, but he has actually brought her close to his very heart by faith. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel that we see here. Not an outsider, but brought near by the blood of her Savior. Or, you know, ultimately, like, brought near by the blood of our Savior, our Savior is what we would receive, but she's trusting in faith that God would save her. 
And so brothers and sisters, all of us have a past that is filled with things that we wish weren't there. All of us were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the people of God, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. This is who we used to be. We were all far off. We were foreigners to the glorious gospel of God at one point in our life. And we weren't just outside looking in, but we were actually rebellious to God. And yet our God is abundantly generous, abundantly kind, overwhelmingly gracious to us. And he has shown us tremendous favor by taking us under his wings. This is what Boaz says. It's such a beautiful picture, right? God has taken us under his wings. What a picture of just tenderness and kindness. I can remember as a young boy when my dad would stick his arm around me. I loved it because it was in that place that I I felt his love for me. I knew that he was there. I knew that he would protect me. I knew that he was saying, I'm right next to you, son. And there's lots of times in my, my life now as a dad that I want to do that. I want to put my arm around my son so that he knows, and my daughters, that they know that I love them. And I'm here for them. I'm not going anywhere. You know, covering them so they would see our protection and our care. This is what we see, a part of this picture here of God placing his, his wing around us. But it also means more than that, too. It also means covering and, and protection from, from, you know, danger and other things like He's sheltering us is is the word that he uses. So I don't know if you've ever been outside in a storm that was terrible, lightning and and raining hard, but the one thing you want to do when that's the case is you want to find shelter. You want want to be under cover. And God says that, that he has taken us under his wing in that way too. He's covered us and protecting us and, 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 and sheltering us from all of the things, not just physical, but even spiritual things that we are, uh, we need to be sheltered from. As we see this picture of God here, you know, wrapping us with his wing, it's the opposite of a disinterested and uncaring God. Here we see the tenderness of the Lord and we see his closeness to us. God loves this image. And he uses it over and over throughout the scriptures. You can see it in Psalm 91 and Psalm 17, Psalm 57. But, but let, me, let me just read one example for you. This was the one from the call to worship this morning. Psalm 36, verses 7 through 9. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from your river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So we see that in this place of protection, we also see a place of provision where he feeds us when we're hungry and he gives us drink when we're thirsty. It sounds a lot like Boaz in this picture. It sounds a lot like what he is desiring to do for Ruth as he has experienced the loving kindness of God. He is desiring to share it with Ruth as well. It is God who is our help. It is in the shadow of his wings that we will sing for joy. Psalm 63 verse 7. So it's in this place of, of, of access and comfort and care that We recognize we've all been brought in if we are in Christ to this place by God. But I think that there's another reason for Boaz's compassion on Ruth, a foreigner. And I think it's because of Boaz's mother. Because he's seeing his own story played out in Ruth's life. I don't know if you remember who uh, Boaz's mother is. 
It doesn't I'll give you a hint. It doesn't tell you who she is in Ruth chapter two. But if you look at the genealogy of Matthew chapter one, you see who his mother is. And his mother is none other than Rahab, the woman who was saved from the city of Jericho. The same woman who protected the spies and puts the cord out the window so they would know who she was. It was just she and her family who were rescued out of Jericho from its destruction. God preserved her life and she was grafted into the people of God. Once an outsider, once a worshiper of a false God, once a prostitute, God has redeemed and brought her out and grafted her in with his people. No longer an outsider, but made a part of the people of God. And she marries a man named Salmon and they have a son and his name is Boaz. I imagine Boaz grew up hearing about the mighty hand of God to save, the mighty hand of God to, to give his people their promised land, but also his kindness to a woman from, a, from another people, a woman from Jericho, a city uh, destined for destruction. God gave abundant mercy and grace to her and brought her in. All that Boaz now has is of God's grace and loving kindness shown to him, a grace and loving kindness that was first shown to his mother. And so he protects and he provides for Ruth with an overflow of having experienced this kind of love himself. And so because God is extremely generous and gracious to him, he extends that also to Ruth. So brothers and sisters, he is generous. And so we experience his kindness and care, but also we reap or we do not sow. As you see the kindness of Boaz in this passage to Ruth, what is it that stands out to you about what he provides? Think about it for a second. What stands out to you? Is it not the overflowing nature of his generosity? Like when you think it can't get any better, it actually does. Boaz continues to pour out his favor on Ruth. You know, he, after she's collected all day, he's like, oh yeah, you don't have to just stay on the outside. You can actually come close to where the reapers are. Gather with them. And then he instructs his men, hey, take some full sheaves and leave them back so that she could gather all the more as she comes through. Not just the, the little pieces, but the whole pieces as she comes in. They're not to reproach her. They're not to rebuke her. She has the favor of her redeemer. And what is his now? I'm sorry, what is his? He now gives to her. He doesn't hold anything back. And so what we see in verses 11 through 17 is Boaz fulfilling the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. You know, this isn't some kind of minimal morality. This doing the, the absolute, you know, minimum bare basics of what God requires so that we be technically obeying, that's not what this is. This is overflowing, trusting, walking in obedience and fulfilling what God's heart is behind it. It's in God's true intention of his law and desiring to go above and beyond out of love of God and love of the neighbor. And so we see this in what Boaz provides. You know, the, the gleaning laws just said he had to give a little bit. He gives abundantly to her. And what's amazing to me that may not stand out to you right at the outset is he wants Ruth to keep coming back. This isn't just a one-time offer. You know, she, she gathers an abundant amount, like two, two weeks worth. He says, come back tomorrow and get more of the same. And come back the next day. And come back the next day. Over and over. You know, there's an ongoing cost 
to Boaz that's going to meet this ongoing need of Ruth. And he continues to extend this invitation. He's willing to keep walking with her for as long as necessary. This is what it looks like to obey the spirit of the law here. And I think this is challenging to us. But our faithfulness to love and care speaks volumes about how our God constantly loves and cares for us. So there's, there might be extended seasons where you're called to walk alongside someone. Some of you bring your parents into your homes to do that. Some of you have friends that are in need, and so you're continually pouring into their lives. But it's not necessarily just a one-time thing and you can be done, but it's continuing to, to love them and to pursue them with, with you know, the abundant generosity that God has first shown to you, to them. And so as you think about your own life and the way that you pursue and serve and live in light of this, how would your kindness to others look if it reflected the steadfast love of the Lord? Would it, would it look differently? You know, if it reflected the heart of the Redeemer, how would, it, how would it appear? And if it was generous as God is generous, and if you sought to satisfy the spirit of the law by the Holy Spirit, what would it look like? I think it would look overflowing. And that people that we would be serving would be like, I can't believe that. God is continuing to show goodness through you. And that's what we see here. God, God's grace to Ruth leads her to say, this is amazing. And she is so thankful for what God has provided. Brothers and sisters, you might think that your Christian life is like you gleaning on the edges. Like that was the, you know, the letter of the law, just living on the scraps to survive. Maybe you feel like the Syrophoenician woman. You know, she was, she was going to be satisfied with even the scraps that were available to her. But what happened? She met Jesus. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you don't just get the scraps that fall off the table. You get everything. You get the abundance of God. You, you who come to Christ get extravagant grace. You get the forgiveness of your sin. You get the adoption into the family of God. He calls you a son or a daughter, and he says, come close. You get filled with his Holy Spirit, who is God himself. You get peace and security and life eternal because of the grace of God extended to you. Because you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit to serve God. You get fellowship with him. Why? Because of Jesus' work. As amazing as a redeemer as Boaz is, Jesus is more faithful. He is more generous and what he gives lasts forever. So you might be asking the question, how is it fair that we would benefit from someone else's work? How's that right? Because we've all heard you reap what you sow. And this is a true, this is a biblical statement. It's in, it's in Galatians 6. You reap what you sow. It's used both positively and negatively. How then can we benefit from someone else's work? Well, the main reason is that we've been grafted in. We've been included in the covenant promises of God to his people. For Ruth, though her expectation is to gather bit by bit, she actually gets to reap abundantly. The overflowing kindness of Boaz to Ruth shows us a small picture of what God's love is like for us. Because we reap not based on what we have sown ourselves, but we reap based on what our Redeemer has sown. 
Our Moabness doesn't matter. What matters most is that the Son is our kinsman redeemer. But here in Boaz's field, Ruth reaps an abundant harvest of which she didn't sow anything. She didn't water it once. She didn't put one seed down. She's reaping from someone else's labor. And what happens here is such a beautiful picture of the gospel because this is all of our experience as believers. It's because we have received God's abundant grace through Jesus Christ that we are able to reap a harvest of peace with God. We get to reap what Christ Jesus has sown. And so as you think about your own life, do you live sometimes with a feeling, a nagging feeling that you're not good enough? Not a good enough husband, not a good enough wife, not enough good enough mother or father, not a good enough daughter or son, not a good enough student, not a good enough worker or boss or any other number of places you could be. Do you get that feeling that you're not good enough? Well, the truth is, you're not good enough on your own. But you may not be good enough, but Christ Jesus is enough. The good news of the gospel is that God will allow you to reap where you haven't sown because of your faith in the perfect son of God. The one who is your true redeemer. The one who has sowed a a harvest of righteousness by his life and his death, by his perfect obedience to the father. And he died so that you would live. If you were in Christ, the declaration of God over you is righteous, holy, acceptable, Loved because of Jesus. You are pleasing in his sight if you are in Christ because Jesus is pleasing in his sight. You're no longer a foreigner, no longer an outcast, but you are are a beloved son or daughter welcomed in to share food at his table and who finds comfort in the shadow of his wings as you think about just our abundantly generous Redeemer. And we see that he, he gives kindness and care. He, he protects us and he, he you know, covers us and we reap what we, what we didn't sow. But also we see because of the kindness of our Redeemer, because of his generosity, we respond with hope and joy for all that he's done. Just look at the turnaround here. From the end of chapter one to the end of chapter two, think about the turnaround that happens in Ruth and Naomi's life. In the the early hours of this day, Ruth leaves her home uh, with Naomi to head out in the fields. She says she's empty-handed. She doesn't have anything. How does she come back? Overflowing with abundance. You know, she she, has, you know, so much. I imagine it was difficult to carry back. This is kind of the opposite of what Naomi described herself. Naomi said, I started out full and I ended up empty. Here we're seeing the reversal of that. Ruth may not have expected to come back with with what she did. She probably was thinking that she was going to have food for the day, but instead she brings up home almost two weeks worth of food. But not only that, but while she was out there in the fields, Boaz invited Ruth to share a meal together. He invites her to a fellowship meal to take bread and and dip it in the wine, symbolic of just the the sweetness of fellowship together. 
He's not content to just let Ruth stay on the outside, but he invites this foreigner to come in and share a meal with him. And it says that she eats and is satisfied, and there's some left over. Reminds me of Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, where they come and they eat and are satisfied, and there's many baskets left over. Such is the abundance of our God. So Ruth brings back these leftovers in this meal back to, to Naomi that, that, that Boaz had given. And seeing all of this food, she says, where did you glean today? I think she's thinking, how did you possibly get this much? Who took notice of you? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. She is amazed. And Ruth tells Naomi that she worked in a man named Boaz's field. And I think at that moment, Maybe for the first time in years, a smile began to break out on Naomi's face. Of course, it was Boaz. Of all the fields that the Lord could lead Ruth to, he sends her to Boaz's field. And it's at this point that I believe if Naomi was holding a guitar and, and in a metaphorical cave, <laughs> she would begin to play as she starts to walk out because she has literally tasted and seen that the Lord is good. She's tasted and seen of the generosity of her God. And if Naomi's heart had been like a desert these past few years, you can see in this moment there are rain clouds on the horizon. And the, the rain of God's grace is beginning to fall on that dry and parched and thirsty land of her heart. And her response if chapter one at the end was bitterness, the response here is to bless Boaz and to bless God for what he has done. She says in verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. In this, in this statement, she's definitely talking about Boaz in one degree. Boaz's kindness has, has helped the living, Ruth and Naomi. It's honored the dead, Elimelech and his sons who he was related to. But the text is ambiguous here about who she's really talking about because he's also talking about God. Because ultimately God is the one who has remembered the living and the dead and who is providing for Ruth through Boaz. And so Naomi herself has lifted her eyes and is proclaiming praise and glory to her God. Even though, no, even though Naomi felt like God had bitterly dealt with her, that she had come back empty, she is seeing that because of God's kindness through Boaz and Ruth to her, that God has not forgotten them. He has not forsaken them. Instead, he is doing wondrous things. She's beginning to understand the truth that, that William Cowper was writing about in that song 200 years ago, where he says, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. What's the reason for our confidence? Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Brothers and sisters, as we see the goodness of our God, as we see his generosity, as we see everything laid out here, I want to tell you, it, it gets even better. See, the meal that Ruth shared with Boaz is a foretaste of a meal that we will share with the Lamb of God. As we look in Revelation 19, Verses 6, six through 9. Turn there with me for just a moment. Revelation 19. Hear these words starting in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, 
like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It is, it is granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Because this is our hope that is true, brothers and sisters. We are a gathered people of God as Christians who will rejoice and exult in the abundant generosity of our Redeemer forever and ever. That's what this picture shows us. But we're going to rejoice not just in God's good gifts to us, though those things are wonderful. But we're going to rejoice that his generosity leads him to give us himself. The thing that we need most and that we want most and the thing that we get most is that we get fellowship with our God by his son and through his spirit, fellowship forever with them. What abundantly, what an abundant, generous giver our redeemer is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that even as the angel says that this is true. This is a real hope of which we will participate in forever. Table fellowship with you forever. Lord, once we were your enemies, now we're seated at your table. Lord, our response is, is thank you, God. Thank you, dear Lord. Father, lead us as we sing now to respond in faith. Father, I pray that we would sing of your just abundant generosity and it would, it would cause us to joy. And Father, that we would love both you and our neighbor as, as ourselves. Father, help us, Lord, I pray. And lead us uh, by your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.